Well, good morning. You guys are, y'all are good looking. If no one's told you that yet this morning, let your pastor tell you you're good looking. I, I have a confession to make. Your pastor is a drinker. Let me clarify. There is something different when, you know, like we're here week after week and we're leading the, the service. I have to be aware of what's taking place and what's happening. And you really tuned in at a different level. When I have the opportunity to go somewhere and I don't have responsibilities, I drink deeply of the presence of God. I, your pastor is a, is a drinker of the presence of God. So when we had the opportunity last Sunday to go to church with our, with our kids uh, in, in Reading at Bethel, uh, we went in the, in the morning and then we went at night. Uh, the morning service that we went to was 1030 and it was very structured because it's their stream service. And so everything was very well put together. Um, and then the night service was a little, uh, it was a little wild. It got a little long. We were there Many hours, just many, many hours. Um, and actually, we walked in for the six for the six p.m. service, and there was a book table set up outside of their outside of their cafe, and it was uh, selling Krista Smith's book. So Sean and Krista are are, are people that we support as missionaries, local uh, uh, U.S. missionaries. And Renee looked at me and said, "I wonder if Sean and Krista are here." And I was like, well, maybe it would seem odd that they're selling her book if they're not here. So sure enough, Krista was speaking that night and she just released a wild word about the wild ones and forerunners. Um, and uh, so anyway, during the, during the service, it was just powerful. The presence of God was, was thick. Um, and the moment that I could, we, we responded to the front and we're just soaking at the altar as Sean and Krista were, were ministering with, with prophetic words. And they went through and they laid hands on us, uh, on, on everyone that was that, you know, that, that had responded. And Renee and I were out laid out across the floor. Um, and I sat up at one point and I, as I sat up, um, I was still kind of holding Renee's hand. I sat up and I watched this lady who was, she's one of the, one of the pastors leap over three people and tackle Renee on the ground. Renee's already on the ground, but I watched her leap over three people and just like sprawl herself over Renee, put her face on Renee's face and just like she's giving her this prophetic word. And I thought, this is so funny. What, what's, what's, taking, what's taking place here? And so we, we drank deeply in the presence of God. And, and I thought, hey, this is, this is all done. Got a chance to connect with, with, with Sean and, and Krista. Um, got a chance to connect. If you remember the, the BSSM team that was here in the spring, one of the, one of the pastors that was there saw us and was like, hey, we'd love to come back. And then I thought, well, the night's all over. And then they said, hey, I think we're going to do a fire tunnel now. Like the service had been going on for like three hours. And we're like, so we walked to the back and, and it, it was, you know, it was, it was really, it was late, late. And um, we've been there a long time and we were standing there with, the, with our kids and, and, and um, Holly says, well, I'm going, like I'm, I'm going. I don't get to be here all the time. I'm going through the tunnel. And so sure enough, we drank deeply and then we went through the tunnel and uh, I got rug burn on my elbow as I stumbled and, and crawled my way through the fire tunnel. And I, I can't speak for, I know we all did, but, but for me, like I received something last Sunday. And so my encouragement to you in, in, tell, in, in sharing this with you is whenever you have the opportunity, drink deeply of the presence of God. When you're, when you're with him and he's doing something, don't rush through, just, just pause and drink deeply. 
All right, book of Revelation. Turn to the last two chapters in your Bible. Chances are these pages are stuck together because this is, you know, the front and the back pages of your Bible always t- seem to, to stick together. Revelation chapter 21 and 22, we, we, we complete our series today. Have you ever been reading a book, a novel of, of some sort, and skip to the end when you're not at the end. You're kind of like in the middle or at the beginning and skip to the end and read the last chapter before you finish the whole book. I've done that. I used to do that when I, when I was a lot younger. I'd be reading books and whether they were mystery books or, or whatever they were. And it was so intense that I was just like, I just got to know what happened. So I would skip to the end. I would read the last chapter and then I would go back. And you know what? I never found that it ruined the book for me. It helped me manage my emotions because I knew how it was going to turn out. It's really what it, what it happened to do for me. How many of you have read the last chapters of the Bible just to see how everything turns out? If you haven't, we're going to do that. We're going to do that today. Because listen, this book, the entire book, not just the book of Revelation, but this book has an incredible ending. It has an incredible ending. So a couple weeks ago when, when Renee was speaking, she spoke at the end of chapter 20. And what we saw, just to kind of review, to tie into 21 and 22 here, we saw the devil, the beast, and the false prophet, who was the second beast, they were thrown into the lake of fire for all of eternity. And then the great white throne appears where every person who has ever lived of all time appears before the great white throne. It's called the great white throne of judgment. And they are judged for how they lived their lives. They are judged for what they did with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And those names that are not found written in the Lamb's book of life are sentenced or, or um, are sent to eternity in the lake of fire with the beast and the false prophet and the dragon and Satan. They're all there. And that, that they're there um, for, for all of eternity. And those whose names are found in the book of life, Revelation 21 and 22, this is our reward. Having your name in the book of life means that you surrendered and you lived for Jesus to the end. So John writes, and what, what's happening again, that John has many visions throughout this letter that we're reading. John writes this vision in two parts. The first part is verses one through nine, and it's kind of like the introduction or the overview of the vision. And then um, in, in uh Chapter 21, verse 10, all the way through to 22 and verse 5, he writes the full vision itself. And so you see in these two parts, you see some things are repeated and some things they're expanded upon and for, for, a broader, for a broader look, so to speak. So let's take a look at uh, Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, they vanished. And there was no longer any sea. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the, from the throne saying, See, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he will live among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eye. And there will no longer be death, and there will no longer be sorrow and, and anguish or crying, or pain, for the former order of things has passed away. Heaven and earth pass away. They vanish. They're gone. And God brings something new out to replace them. Listen, as amazing as earth is, as amazing and incredible as the wonders that we see in nature, and on earth, and in the heavens, it has all been tainted by the touch of sin. 
See, evil entered God's perfect creation back in Genesis chapter 3, way back at the beginning of the Bible. And what we see today has been touched and tainted and broken because of the presence of evil. And I know like, it's hard to imagine a new heaven and a new earth surpassing the glory of what we can see. Like, I, I, I want you to, for a moment, just to think about some of the incredible things that you've seen on the earth, in, in creation, in, in nature. I've, I've had the privilege of standing on mountaintops and looking out across mountain ranges as glorious and majestic as they are, and they just take your breath away as you're standing out and you're looking like, wow. Living on the coast now, I've had the opportunity to stand on the, on the seashore and sometimes even stand on the, on, the, on the pier, on some of the piers when the waves are coming in and crashing and you can feel the power of waves. I've been out surfing and been crashed. I'm not a good surfer, so I get crashed often and rolled with the, with the tide and with the surf and the, the power of the ocean is incredible. Growing up way up in, the, in, in Northern Canada, I've had the opportunity to look out over the dark pitch black sky and watch uh, Northern Lights dance across the sky. So bright that it lights up and you can actually see the trees and the mountains because the sky is so bright. But none of this compares to, the, to, to what is to come, to the new heavens and the new earth for those who conquer in this life. See, new as John, as John writes here, the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, it, it means it's, it's um, a, a new kind, not just another, right? This is not like, okay, I have an iPhone. Um, I, I think this is a 12 or 13, and I don't know what the, the latest one is, 16 or, or whatever. And it's not like I'm just trading in my, my, my iPhone for the new iPhone. It's not, you know, God's not bringing out the latest edition of, of heaven and earth with, with some, some new features and some, some updates to the model. You know, it's, that, that's not what it is. It's, it's brand new. It's not heaven and earth 2.0 is not coming right? He's creating something altogether new and different. And what it is, is the fulfillment of, of many Old Testament prophecies. The Old Testament prophet, prophets prophesied about what was to come before they ever had an idea of what it was. Even John, as he's seeing it all, he doesn't quite grasp all that it is. But Isaiah 65 and verse 17 prophesies, he says, look, I'm creating a new heavens and a new earth. And no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Whoa. In chapter 2, he talks about the mountain of the Lord, glorious with God's presence and how there's no violence and how people from all the nations are flooding into the new Jerusalem. Zephaniah chapter 3 writes, he prophesies about no sin. There's no sin any longer. No fear, but just joy, gladness, love, and singing fill the city. Ezekiel chapter 47, this is Ezekiel's river as he prophesies the river of God with, with life and, and trees and on, on either side bearing fruit continuously and fish and life in the river and the leaves of the trees are for the healing. Uh, Ezekiel's prophesying about the new garden. In all the new, the painful elements of the old and the former, what we know, they all pass away. There's no more tears. There's no more death. There's no more sorrow. There's no more suffering. There's no more crying. There's no more pain. And there's no more memory of those things. It's not like, it's not like God is not like doing, doing like a brain transplant where we, where we can't anymore. But what's so glorious in front of us, we will no longer even think about or remember 
that what was. The pain is all gone. The sting of the past and the potential pain of the future are completely removed in eternity, in the new heavens and the new earth. It's like, honestly, can you even imagine what life would be like with no pain, with no suffering, with no sorrow, with no tears? And not even, you don't, you don't experience it, but there's no potential of it. Look at verse chapter, uh, verse, verse five. It says, and he who sits on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And he also said, right, for these words are faithful and true. They are accurate, incorruptible, and trustworthy. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the one who thirsts, I will give water from the fountain um, of water of life without cost. And he who overcomes the world by adhering faithfully to Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowards and unbelieving and abominable who are devoid of character and personal integrity and practice or tolerate immorality and murderers and sorcerers with intoxicating drugs and idolaters and occultists who practice and teach false religions and all the liars who knowingly deceive and twist truth, their part will be in the lake that blazes with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So John, John reads, he's seeing all of this, and then he hears the Father declare his name over what he's seeing. See, this is God's stamp of assurance. It's his stamp of like, you can, you can bank on this, of what is to come. See, we can be sure of our future in eternity because God has placed his name upon it, and there is nothing more trustworthy than the name of God. See, the very similar passage in the book of Hebrews chapter 6, where the writer to the Hebrews is actually speaking about what John is seeing now, but the writer to the Hebrews is speaking about it in verses 13 through 20. And it speaks to, he, he writes about the, the assurance of, 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 uh, we have of our future hope. God guarantees in the book of Hebrews what is to come, and he does it with two things. He does it with a promise and an oath. See, the, the writer says he gives his word, which is God's promise. And then he guarantees it with his name, which is God's oath. In verse 16, it says, it's very common for people to swear an oath by something greater than themselves, for the, for the oath will confirm their statements and end all dispute. There is nothing and no one more higher or greater than God. See, God can't swear on, on someone else because there's no one greater than he is. So he swears upon his own name. He says, I put my name upon this because there's nothing greater than my name. There's nothing higher. And this should settle our future hope in, in, our, in our spirits, in our hearts, in, and in our minds. The words of God are completely trustworthy and our eternal, our, our eternal hope totally secure because he has stamped it with his name. It's those that overcome. They are the ones that will inherit all that John is seeing in this vision. So what does it mean to overcome? Here we are at the end of the book of Revelation. What does it mean to overcome? Because throughout the book, overcoming is linked to faithfulness to Jesus. See, when you and I, when we stay faithful to Jesus, when we refuse to follow the ways of the world, when we refuse to align ourselves with Satan, when we refuse to align ourselves with the dragon and with, with the beast and the, and the false prophets and the ways of the world we overcome. And this, this is what the Father is looking for from you and I. This, this is what he will ask us when we stand before the throne. Were you faithful to Jesus? 
See, if your life says yes, not just your words, <laughs> because we can all say stuff like, oh, I do this, I do this, I do this, but behind closed doors, we do none of that, right? Right? So it's not just, he's not just going to, can you say, yes, I was faithful to Jesus, but does your life say that you were faithful to Jesus? So if your life says that you were faithful to Jesus, then you have overcome and there is an inheritance. There is a reward waiting for you. Now the flip side to that, to that coin, to that question, there is also an inheritance for those that do not overcome. See, these are, these are the cowards the unbelievers, those who lack character and integrity, the immoral, the murderers, the haters, the liars, and those who serve anyone or anything but Jesus. See, these are the ones that rejected Jesus, that wanted nothing to do with them when they lived and walked the earth. They chose to align with Satan. They chose to align with the beast. These are the ones that we heard about many chapters uh, before who are marked with the number of the beast. They did not faithfully endure to the end. Their inheritance is the second death, which is the lake of fire. Hear me. Heaven is real. Hell is also very real. They're real places. It's not like like when we die, we go somewhere. Everyone goes somewhere. No one goes to nothing. Like we all go somewhere. What we see us before us here and now, everything that we can see and lay our hands on and touch, it will not last forever. It is not eternal. But what is coming is eternal. And there are only two options. There are only two inheritances. You don't get a third choice. Well, I don't like, I don't like those choices. It doesn't matter. You don't get to set the choices. You just get to pick one or the other. One to eternal life and joy with Jesus. The other to eternal torment and punishment. Those are everyone's options. Not everyone goes to heaven. That's just what the Bible teaches. That's just what the Bible says. Listen, I know that there are people out there who teach and believe that in the end, everyone goes to heaven. There's even a book out there. It's called Love Wins. Love does win, but that doesn't mean everybody goes to heaven. We read it very plain and simple. Revelation 22 and verse 8. There are those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. They go to the lake of fire. That is not heaven. It's called universalism when it's taught and believed that everyone in the end goes to heaven. And universalism is a lie. It doesn't hold up to the truth of Scripture. (laughs) Listen, it sounds good, right? Like, honestly, we can all look around and be like, that sounds really great if everyone goes to heaven because we all have people that we love and we care about and they live like the devil and we would love to see them in heaven one day, right? But they are completely aligning themselves with, with the enemy, with evil. It is difficult to stand on the truth of Scripture and say not everyone goes to heaven. Only those who overcome. Only those who align with Jesus and endure to the end. Listen, this 
This should shake us to our core. This should awaken us to share the gospel to, with, with, with people that we know, that we don't know, people that we care about, people that irritate us, you know, people that we don't like. Yes, we can be honest. There are going to be people out there that you don't like, but we should still be sharing the gospel with them, with our lives and with our words, because hell is a very real place that lasts a very long time. It should motivate us to invite people to come to church so they can experience Jesus and his love and his mercy and his grace for them. Listen, we don't stand here and preach hellfire and brimstone because we've, as we've seen through the book of Revelation, that doesn't soften people's hearts. It actually hardens their hearts. It's the kindness and the love of Jesus that leads people to repentance. It's the kindness and the love of Jesus expressed through us, his servants, his followers, those that align with Jesus, kindness and love that lead people to repentance. As we demonstrate, as we are the example, as we love on people, hell is a reality, but we must show love and speak love. We must show what it looks like to live godly lives, preaching Jesus with our actions and our words so that people will say yes to him and join us in overcoming and receiving the reward of heaven. In verse, uh, verse number uh, nine and 10, an angel comes to John and says, come here, I, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. It says, and he carried me away in the spirit to a vast and lofty mountain and showed me the holy sanctified city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. So he's one, another one of those, those, those times where John hears something, but he sees something different. He hears the angels say, come, I'll show you the bride. But then he sees the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. A city is coming down. The new Jerusalem the bride. This is the church of God. It's us, his people. It's not, not it's not just a place, but it's his people. We are the bride of Christ. We are the wife of the lamb. We are the new Jerusalem and we will also inhabit the new Jerusalem. And then we, you have kind of from, from verse 10 to 27 of, of chapter uh, 21, John describes the city in all, you know, as best as he can with, with human words and language and describing what he's seeing. He goes on to describe the city and he, he, starts, he starts describing the, the walls and he says, the walls are made of jasper and on the walls there's, uh, there's, there's giant pearls and these are the gates to the city. The gates of the city are made out of each with one single pearl and the foundation of the city is, is with all these precious stones. It's really interesting that he, that he describes describes the walls as, as Jasper, looking like Jasper. Because if you, if you remember back in Revelation chapter four and verse three, that same, it, that, it was also described of the one sitting on the throne. Father God was described as one shining as Jasper. So the, the walls of the city, not only does it speak to God surrounding and protecting his people, but somehow they also, the walls also reveal God because there's this, this similarity of them shining like Jasper the same way that the one who sits on the throne shines like Jasper. Verses 15 and 16 um, the, the angel has a, has a measuring rod and he measures the city and he measures the city and he, and he finds out that it's, it's a cube. The height, the width, and the length of the city are all exactly 
the same size. And it's the same shape as the Holy of Holies. It's a cube. The Holy of Holies was the place in the Old Testament where only one man could go one time a year, one time where they were in such close proximity to the presence of God that if that man had any sin in his life, he would instantly drop down dead. They would actually sew little bells along the bottom of their robe and tie a rope around the, the guy's ankle. Like this isn't a job you're necessarily volunteering for. You kind of get picked for this one and, and you, you, really, you really prep yourself well. They actually spend all night the night before awake. They will not let them sleep and they, read, they, they used to read the scripture to them to make sure that even in their dreams that they wouldn't unintentionally sin. So when they would go into the Holy of Holies and it was all filled with smoke, they would go in there and there was priestly, high priestly duties that they would do. And they would walk through and they would stand on the outside holding one end of the rope, the other end of the rope tied to the, to the ankle. And they would listen to the, for the bells to, to ring. And if they ever stopped hearing the bells ringing and the rope no longer moving, they would just pull him back out because they knew he died. But in the new Jerusalem, everyone is always in that space all the time. See, but there's now no sin. There's now no death. There's nothing but joy and closeness with God. And then John also notes there's no temple. He's like, there's no temple. Because now, the, see, the, the temple is where people will come to worship God in the Old Testament. Now, God is everywhere all the time. We are always in that space. And not just in the outer courts, but right there in the Holy of Holies, dwelling with the very presence of God. So the size, the size of the city is unparalleled. I don't know if in your translation, if it, if it kind of does the, the math for you, but John says it's 12,000 stadia, which is 1,400 miles square. 1,400 miles is far. Like, that's from San Diego to Minnesota. That's 1,400 miles. And that's just one side. There's four sides. That's, it's, it's, it's square, 1,400 miles cubed plus high. This city is unparalleled in the size. And the glory of God and the Lamb, they have replaced the need for a sun because the glory of God is so radiant and bright and shining and light. And everyone walks by the light of the glory of God. <laughs> it's like... I love the sun so much. Like it was cloudy yesterday and I, I like, it takes me about two and a half hours to start to feel really like, oh, where's the sun? And so when it, like, if it's ever cloudy and then the clouds break and the sun comes out, honestly, if you drive by the back parking lot sometimes, cause like I stay, I'm in my, I'm in the church so much. And sometimes I just need the sun. I'll just go outside and I'll just go. I'm just soaking up the sun. But can you imagine no need for the sun? Because the glory of God illuminates everything. Like there's no, there's no, sha there's no shadows. Whew. Chapter 22, verse one. Then the angel showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb in the middle of the street. On either side of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer exist anything that is cursed because sin and illness and death are gone. And the throne of God and the lamb will be in it. And his bond servants will serve and worship him with great awe and joy and loving devotion. And they will be 
privilege to see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads and there will no longer be night. They will have no need for lamplight or sunlight because the Lord God will illuminate them and they will reign as kings forever and ever. This is the new garden of Eden. It's not a return back to what God had originally created, right? But it's a step forward into the future where we reign with God as kings over creation, as he originally intended us. We are destined to rule alongside Jesus for all of eternity as royalty. The river of life flows from the throne of God. And as I mentioned before, we see similar rivers, right? There's a, there's a river in Eden, the book of Zechariah. The, the river flows out of Jerusalem. Uh, in Ezekiel, it flows from the temple. But it's interesting here when John sees this river, he sees the river flowing through the street of the city, but not out of the city. He doesn't talk about it that flows out of the city. It just flows through the street. And the tree of life is there on either side of the river. And it says that there's 12 kinds of fruit on the tree and it bears fruit every month. This talks about the perpetual ongoing abundance and provision of the, of the, the new garden, the, you know, the new Jerusalem, where we, where we get to be. The new heavens and the earth is just perpetual abundance. And, and it's, you notice the catch, it says the same thing here. John notes the same thing that Ezekiel did about the tree, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Have you ever wondered, like, so this is, the, this is the garden, what are they healing from? Right, because there's no sickness, there's no illness, there's no sorrow, so, like, how, what are they healing from? I believe that what this points to is, is that the leaves, they, they, they point to the perpetual joy and gladness that we experience in the new garden in all of eternity, because there's nothing to be healed from, just perpetual joy enjoyment, gladness. This is the dwelling place for all that have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. We can't begin to comprehend the majesty. And in verse 12, Jesus says, Behold, I, Jesus, am coming quickly. My reward is with me to give to each one according to the merit of his deeds, his earthly works and faithfulness. Family, Jesus is coming again soon. And with him, the rewards for everyone, for how they have lived their lives. And they're both positive and negative rewards. It's both heaven and it's hell. And then along with rewards for, you know, for, for his faithful servants, we are rewarded for what, what we do, right? The reward is not, it's not just eternity with him, but the Bible talks about it in many, many places where we are rewarded for what we did right? This is like, think, think about the, the parable of the talents. What, what we do with what God gives us, we are rewarded. And so John doesn't go on to specifically talk about that, but there's, there's rewards. And Jesus is coming quickly. I mean, if John wrote this like 2,000 years ago, how much closer are we now than then? If John said, Jesus said to John, I am coming quickly, how much closer are we now? Like we, we have to live with a sense of, of urgency and purpose knowing that Jesus is coming soon. And then with that in mind, there's this interesting verse in, 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 in verse 17 where it says, the Holy Spirit and the bride, the church, the believers say, come, come. And let the one who hears say, say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes, 
to t- wishes, take and drink of the water of life without cost. See, in, in light of everything that we've read, in light of everything that John has shared, all the revelations and all the incredible things that are, that are, that are to come, that are stored up for us, the, the Spirit of God says, come. And then we as the bride of Christ, his followers, we say, we echo that, we say, come. This is the invitation for people far and wide to come. Because in light of everything that's coming, the incredible rewards and all that we have for all of eternity, we are inviting them to come. The Spirit continually calls out, come, come. Everyone who is thirsty, come to Jesus and receive the gift of life through salvation. We are the workers in the harvest field that Jesus talked about. We are the ones that are inviting people to come to Jesus and receive life urging them to reject the ways of the world, urging them to not align themselves with the beast and with the, with, you know, with, with the dragon and the ways of the world. We are the ones who are saying, come, come to Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. Nothing, nothing comes close to the joy and satisfaction of a life surrendered to Jesus. But people don't know what they don't know. And so we say, come. See, are, are we, are you and I, Are we echoing the call to come? Are we personally inviting people to experience the life of Jesus? Are we inviting them to church to hear about Jesus, to experience his presence, you know, in in worship? Like worship today was incredible. You could feel the presence of God. Are we inviting people that don't know him into that atmosphere so they can experience the presence of God like that? Are we urging them to reject the ways of the world? Are we living and talking the example of the Lamb of God to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our family, to our friends? Christopher Young said this, our job as followers of Christ is to live in a way that makes it unmistakable to a dying world that Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer. That's the call to come. And you... you, (laughs) If our lives are, if we're like broke, busted, and disgusted, man, that is not an appealing invitation. Like we're walking around with, you know, with dragging our hands. It's so hard. Life is so brutal. I've got to go to church. I don't want to be there. I'd rather be at home watching the football game or I'd rather be, you know, uh, you know, if that's our life and we're like, hey, and then you're like, you, you like work yourself up. You know, your coworker watches you, how you live your life. You're always down and blah. And then you're like, hey, would you like to come to church with me? <laughs> no, like I don't want anything that you got. Right? Like our lives are the invitation. Of, it's like we display God's goodness and his grace and his mercy and his glory and his abundance. Right? Even when we are going through it, we're all going to go through it. If you're, not, like, if you're not going through it now, like you're going to go through it soon. Like we're all going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We're all going to struggle with things. We're all going to have like the poop is going to hit the fan in your life. It's going to spray in your face and people are watching to see how are you going to react and respond. Because everybody on the face of the planet goes through it. But we have hope for what is to come so we can joyfully suffer and endure to the end. That's attractive. Someone will look at you going through the worst day of your life and they will say, I don't know how you made it, but whatever you got, that's what I want. That's the call to come. All right. That's the book of Revelation. So to to wrap it all up, the visions and the prophecies 
in Revelation reveal God's heavenly perspective on current happenings and history so that we can live in light of the final outcome. Like we just skipped through to the end of the story. We read how the story turns out what's coming. So now we go back to our lives here and now and we live in light of of what we just read at the end. It should impact and change how I live my life because I know the end. If I if it was all like dark and, and I didn't know what was to come, it would that would definitely impact how I live my life. But now I know the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, the garden. There's no more tears, there's no more pain, there's no more sadness, there's no more suffering. I know what's in store for me if I endure to the end and stay faithful to Jesus. So it needs to impact how I live my life today. So as we walk through the book of Revelation, we can see. It's not a secret code. We're not trying to decipher a secret code so we can pinpoint the day, the time, and the hour when Jesus will return. It's not this this thing, this timeline for us to figure out, okay, so this has happened, and then that has happened, and this has happened. Okay, everything has happened in the scripture, so we know that Jesus is coming right away, and it must be on this date. No, it's a letter to seven early churches. It was a letter to people that really lived and were going through difficult, hard times and suffering. And it brought hope, and it brought a challenge, and it brought a promise to them and to us and every generation that has lived since then. The challenge of the book of Revelation is to stay faithful to Jesus. That's what we walk away with. I'm challenged to stay faithful to Jesus, to resist Satan and the spirit of the world, to endure to the end whatever may come in opposition because our reward far exceeds far exceeds any present or future suffering that we could ever go through. I was thinking this morning, as I was going over my message, I was, I was thinking of workers. Everyone accountable, all people, all demonic powers. He will remove 
if you stay faithful and endure to the end, you can not lose. As the saying goes, I read the end of the book. <laughs> we win. So in light of all of this, I don't know where everyone is spiritually, where you are in your relationship with Jesus. I cannot let a moment like this pass by where we've so plainly and clearly talked about they're your only options in life. So I need to know, is, if, if, is there anyone here that doesn't have that relationship with Jesus? You've not aligned yourself with him and him alone. Maybe you're, you're like, you're trying to play both sides of the field and you're standing on the, you can't stand on the fence. Standing on the fence is, is, is aligning with the world. You've got to go all in, all in. So if you're here and, and you, you haven't gone all in with Jesus, whatever that looks like, and you're like, you know what, the, that's, that's what I want. I just want you to slip your hand up and say, I'm, I'm going all in with Jesus today. And we'll just wait just a moment. A life lived surrendered to Jesus is the only way to live. Earth has nothing. This world offers nothing in comparison to a life Live surrendered to Jesus. Okay. So now I want to challenge us, and then I want to I want to pray for us. The challenge is, again, in light of everything that we've talked about, I challenge you to share Jesus with people. And you're like, Pat, it's like, Craig, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I've got the words. I get so tongue-tied and my mouth dries and it feels like my tongue swells up and I'm, yeah, 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 I don't even know what to say. That's okay. One, he promises to give us words whenever we're questioned about our faith. And two, if you really don't know what to say, you just say, hey, can I pick you up for breakfast Sunday morning and then come to church with me? That's it. Honestly, that's it. But you will get better as you talk to people about Jesus. You see them suffering. Hey, can I pray for you? Right? My challenge is share Jesus with people, with your life and with your words. Just love on them. Be kind to them. Don't beat them over the head with the Bible. That's not what Jesus did. That's not. Share Jesus with people. We are the workers in the harvest field. And he works through us. And I'm telling you what, if you have never had the privilege of inviting someone to, someone to church that doesn't know Jesus and seeing them give their life to him or sitting down one-on-one -on -one with, with someone and praying with them, there is nothing. There is no miracle. There is no sign. There is no wonder in the heavens or the earth that compares to leading someone to the Lord. That is the most incredible miracle of all. So ask him for it. And, now I wanna, and then I want to pray. So if you need endurance, if you're like, man, I'm, I'm going through it, 
I'm suffering, I'm struggling. I just want you to stand because I want to pray for you. Just stand where you are. If you're like, man, I just, I need prayer. Whatever your situation is, it doesn't matter. It could be a physical sickness. It could be a relationship thing. It could be a, a, your emotions, anxiety, depression, whatever it is. If you're struggling, maybe you just feel like the enemy is just at you all the time and you just can't get ahead. You just can't catch a break. May, or maybe you're here and you're like, man, I'm being persecuted for my faith by my family. They make fun of me. They talk about me behind my back and it just hurts. And I just need the strength to endure. Jesus, I need that strength to endure. To stand strong in my character and in my integrity. To resist the ways of the world. I thank you that your word tells us in our weakness, you are made strong. So standing and saying, I'm, I'm struggling and I'm suffering and I need prayer for endurance is standing up in her weakness and that's where the strength of Christ rushes into to our lives. So I pray in the name of Jesus that the strength of God would rush into every life, everyone who stood up and said, I need prayer. I need help to endure to the end. I pray your strength will rise up inside of us, that you would stiffen our spines, that we would walk out with courage, with boldness, and with strength, not in our own power, not because we talked ourselves up a good hype talk, but because the strength of God is in us and is standing us up straight, and we can lift our head high, and we can walk out here knowing the hope that is our future, that you have not abandoned us, but you are with us, And I pray that we would all endure to the end. In Jesus' name, amen.